Hi folks, it's Jack Spirico with another edition of Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is Tuesday, February 26, 2013. This is episode 1078 of the Survival Podcast. And uh, usually I do kind of a standalone show on a single subject. Not today. Today I'm going to do a basically a second round of listener feedback. Uh, there's at times when I start to look at my inbox and I start going, there's just so much here that I never get to that occasionally I want to throw kind of a bonus feedback show in. I also think the feedback shows are actually really great shows because they're all about you, the audience. In addition to that, something that happened yesterday has inspired me to take an additional action today. It's going to be our lead kickoff story. And it's going to be about voting with your feet. And I'm thinking about flipping the paradigm on its head. In other words, there are free state movements that I know of in at least three states. The most known one is Free State New Hampshire. There's actually a free state movement in Texas, um, not quite in the same vein as the free state movement of New Hampshire. But John Bush is very, very active down near Austin at driving this state toward greater liberty and freedom, more through sort of an anarchist approach, simply uh, creating systems that allow people to, to live here, but yet not really participate in the parts they don't want to participate in. There's a free state Wyoming uh, movement that's pretty dadgone organized and pretty dadgone good. Um, so there are other movements. Maybe, though, we don't need to be thinking about where people go as much as where people need to leave. This is a republic. It was founded on competition, and it gives me an idea. An idea I will share with you in a bit after we hear from our sponsors. Sponsor of the day number one today, Backwoods Home Magazine. You know, I'll tell you what. I have been reading Backwoods Home since I left the Army in 1993. That's a long time. Um, that's, gee, I don't even want to think about it, but that's 20 years, folks. 20 years since I left the United States Army. I guess I'm older than I thought I was. Anyway, I've been reading that magazine for that long. I found it right after I got out. Um, I was kind of a broke kid at the time. I didn't know what I wanted to do other than I knew that I loved the skills I learned as a mechanic, but I didn't want to do it for the rest of my life. So other than a short stint of busting tires for uh, Firestone, I immediately started looking for a different career pathway. And uh, I did a lot of walking back in those days because I was trying to save money, and I only used my car when I needed to, and I found a little bookstore that was walking distance from my apartment. And in there, I found a thing called Backwoods Home Magazine. And I picked it up, and I fell in love with it. And I started reading it, I'll be honest. And I was one of those guys. I would go to Starbucks when I didn't have to work or whatever, and I would I'd buy a cup of coffee, a very expensive cup of coffee, and read three magazines and a book um, that I didn't pay for. But they had the nice plush chairs there, and I was contributing, so I felt good about it. But that's how far back my association as a reader with Backwoods Home Magazine goes. So when Dave Duffy, who I've been reading for that long, came to me and said they wanted to be part of the team here, man, it made my day. And I'm glad to have them as a sponsor. If you want information on liberty, independence, freedom, self-reliance, and self-sufficiency, Backwoods Home Magazine is the premier magazine for you. Check them out today, backwoodshome.com. Next up today, knifekits.com. You know, if you want to improve your skills, one place you can start is learning how to make and build things and craft things. But if you're kind of a novice at that, if you've never used uh, complicated tools, you've never used a forge or whatever, you might think that making a knife is too complicated. Well, if you go to knifekits.com, you can get a kit that is as simple as putting together, let's say, a plastic model airplane. 
Uh, actually, I'd say it's simpler. Some of those things, I remember when I was a kid and used to do those, those things are really complicated. Uh, maybe as simple as one of those snap-together models, you know, that type of thing. Or if you really want to extend your craft and you're looking for the most exotic materials you can get, you can get that at Knife Kits. From the master bladesmith to the novice just starting out and everybody else in between, they're your source for the best equipment for making knives. Check them out today at KnifeKits.com. And if you've been thinking about making a Kydex holster for something uh, on your own, you wanted that skill set, how to, how to make Kydex holsters, they have Kydex holster kits as well where you can do that. It's not real hard to make Kydex holsters. Check that stuff out as well. Next up, I want to remind you about TSPMint.com. I'd like you to do something for me today. We sold a lot of ant coins, but I sell more than just ant coins. When I get to the Freedom Project that we're talking about, that's not what it's called either, by the way, but it's a Freedom Project. Uh, one of the big things that's important to me with Freedom and Liberty is the Second Amendment. Uh, AOCS has a gorgeous Second Amendment silver coin. Go buy TSP Mint today and look at the Second Amendment silver coin. And remember, if you're an MSB member, you can get that coin for $1.99 over spot. Um, you know, consider buying some of those and maybe even consider giving those out to people. One thing, if you put an ounce of silver in somebody's hand, they tend to hold on to it. Check it out today, tspmint.com. Uh, also check out TSP Gear. We have some cool stuff there and more cool stuff coming every day. Uh, I'm working right now to put together kind of the ultimate bug out kit at TSP Gear Shop and uh, make that available to you as components or as an assembled kit so you can decide what you want to buy or even grow into it. Uh, Kelly and I have been talking about that for a while. It's probably going to happen. And we have some other cool stuff coming, uh, including a really cool uh, laptop bag, messenger bag, that uh, I finally found that fits me. Um, I'm going to put a link. I've been getting a lot of questions about it. It's not in our gear shop, but Kelly does sell it on survival gear bags. If you want one, I don't want you to wait for me. Go ahead and get it from Kelly. He's a sponsor as well as a partner. Um, so it's from uh, Hazard 4, and it is a great uh, messenger briefcase bag. Holds a full-size laptop and a loaded-up Keltec Sub-2K folded down. It is a great bag. Check it out today. Uh, and, I will again, I'll put a link in today's show notes, even though Kelly's not a sponsor. All right, with that wrapped up, um, I want to go ahead and get into the, uh, the, the project that I've come up with. So yesterday, I read an email by First Sergeant Cone. Uh, we just call him Top Cone at the uh, Survival Podcast and on the uh, on the disaster response team as well, which I'll have a little bit of information for you that, about that today as well because a lot of people have been asking about TSP DRT, which no longer called that, but I guess that's like the code, you know, like when they were working on the atomic bomb it was the Manhattan Project. This is the, the TSP DRT project. Um, but I read this letter from Top Cone, and basically, it was an open letter to the citizens of New York and its government. And I won't reread the whole thing. If you didn't hear yesterday's show, go listen to it or go to the site, thesurvivalpodcast.com, and you'll see a post there that says, an open letter to a military vet to the state of New York with my thoughts and my comments on it. And I was more proud than I have been in a long time when I read his letter because I knew I had at least some influence on his decision to tell the state of New York enough is enough. And I started thinking about how we could encourage more people to do this. So I've been kind of poking at you, prodding at you for a while if you live in some of these states. And there's, we'll get into which states in a second and how to do it in a second, but I think that we can agree that certain states are definitely on the list of, list of oppressive states. Uh, New York, Illinois, uh, Massachusetts, I mean, California, those four, uh, and New Jersey. 
Well, there's five right there. And we'll, we'll talk about the fact that there's some other states like Maryland, um, you know, that really kind of are bucking to get into the top five and if might even be there and it would be debatable. But we, we definitely know there's some states that are absolutely anti-libertarian. Okay, that means the best way I can put it. They're not just oppressive, they're anti-libertarian. Any libertarian ideal or principle brought up in their state is just considered heresy, and how dare you? And those states, you see, this is where we get into an area where people start getting upset with you. New York State is not completely made up of a bunch of freaking people that have lost their ever-loving minds and don't love liberty and freedom. New York is a state full of hunters and fishermen and outdoorsmen and rural farm people, uh, people that run vineyards, people that run apple orchards. I mean, it's full of a huge, diverse array of people. But the state of New York has such a huge, centralized group of oppressive-minded individuals that want to control others in New York City, in the five boroughs, and some of the other counties out there within the state, that that group has been able to drag the rest of the state headlong screaming into oppression. They're going, this is not what we want. This is not who we are. And people in New York City are making decisions for people that live in upstate. And, and it's just anti-libertarian that's the only way i can describe it the the majority is dragging the the slightly smaller minority into the abyss with freedom and with economic responsibility the state of new york could not balance a checkbook they are going to go bankrupt at some point illinois man you guys in california will go for those two states will go before new york so when i was reading top cones letter last night again just to myself i started saying maybe what we need to do is we need to start a more consorted effort to get people out of these states and my original thought was this why don't we pick the 10 worst states and the 10 best states and my friends up in new hampshire that might go you're bifurcating things you know what if it's a much bigger reach you have a much bigger pool to draw from it's good for you too uh, and besides, New Hampshire would definitely be on that list. They'd probably be number one or two on that list, honestly, if we looked at enough different data points to figure out where liberty is and where it isn't. And, um, but I, you know, when I started thinking about that and I started thinking, well, you know what? If I do 10, I'm sure Texas is going to be on the list. And I started thinking a little bit nefariously going, a damn well will be. Um, I know there's liberty here. I live here. I've lived in quite a few different states. And I know that for me, there's more liberty here than just about anywhere else that I've ever lived. But I would acknowledge a few states have certain freedoms that I would like to have as well, such as Arizona with, you know, flat carte blanche open carry. Uh, Wyoming, Montana, New Hampshire have gun laws that are even more liberal than the state of Texas. But as I started thinking about that, I started thinking, hey, Jack, you know what? If you're going to make a case for your state, then odds are most freedom-loving people that live in a state that really is fairly free compared to these oppressive states are going to make the same case. And whenever you bring up, well, we have this, they're going to say, but you don't have this and we have that. And I realized that they had a point. And I realized that as I looked out at the republic as a whole, as an entirety, and I looked at the vision that I've been describing to you, which was simply that when one state becomes so oppressive 
or so irresponsible with its citizens that those citizens are pick up, free to pick up and move and choose another state of residency that is more in line with their values and their keeping. So I thought, well, what if we just did this? What if we just picked the five or the ten, and we have to debate that number? And the only reason I want to debate the number of five or ten is I think, I think there's more than five that need to be on the really bad naughty list. Okay? Um, and then again, when I look at the naughty list, and it is the naughty list, okay? You know, Illinois, I mean, that's, you guys are on a naughty list in every conceivable way. Every conceivable way. And yes, I know, just like I said about, um, New York City. And New York State, in the conflict there, that there are people in Chicago in such numbers dragging rural people from Illinois into this abyss with them. But that's my point. That's my whole point. It's not that the people of Illinois suck. It's that the government of Illinois sucks, and it's being led headlong into sucking by a majority, a slight majority of the overall state that are able to drag everybody else with them. It's those people that don't suck in Illinois that we want. All right? So when I start looking at the, the top, the top five list and I start going, yeah, Maryland probably belongs in there. And even if they're not top five, they're probably six or seven and they're bad enough. Um, with some of the gun laws that they're making and things like that. So as I looked at that, I said, well, who else might go on this list then? And you know what sprung to mind? Hawaii. Hawaii has the most oppressive gun laws of any state in the United States of America. Did you know that? There is a whole list of countries that actually have more gun freedom than Hawaii. You have less freedom in, I mean, it's dozens of nations on the gun freedom index that rank higher than the state of Hawaii. So I look at that, though, and I go, is it reasonable to target Hawaii? Do you know how far away Hawaii is even from California geographically? How many people from Hawaii are going to want to pick up and move to Texas or Arizona? People that live in Hawaii tend to live there for a reason that's somewhat different than just simply freedom uh, when it comes to legislation and, and the Second Amendment. It may not be the place to even target. So does the top 10 list represent the absolute naughtiest 10 or does it represent the 10 most vulnerable? And these are not questions I have an answer to for you yet, but I do have the flesh and bones of the project. The, the project is going to be a simple blog with a forum. And the blog will just basically be updated once in a while to explain to people what's going on. And I'll, I'll look for contributors to the blog that want to post about freedom initiatives in other states and things like that. Most of it will be a forum. And the forum will list the states that are the targets. And the primary purpose of the forums for those states that are targets will be goodbye letters. Yep, goodbye letters. So the top 10 or top 5 or top 8 or whatever we decide as a community here at TSP, and we'll do this as a community, will we'll be goodbye to Illinois, goodbye to New York, goodbye okay, to California. And each citizen will then tell that state why they're leaving, tell them their story, and say goodbye. And we'll have a help form when you leave in your state. Where are the best places to send your letter to? What are the most receptive newspapers to your letter? Where are the, how do you make sure that your letters get to your elected officials at the state level? But folks, it needs to get to the county, the city, the town level. Okay? 
That's where you're going to have the elected officials that are left behind losing really good people that have a better line in telling the governor of that state, you're, you're screwing us. Because I don't just want these people to leave for the sake of spite. I want them to leave so these states wake up and get a freaking clue. And it either will or will not work. But every single one I'm going to look at, like they just came across Berlin Wall from east to west Germany. They've gone to somewhere more free than where they were. Then the other half will be the other, let's say we do the 10 naughtiest, the other 40 states. Now I know, state number 11, if we had a top 11 instead of a top 10 list, is probably not that free. Ah, but here's the magic of the idea. It's up to the citizens of that state, and hopefully if this gets big enough, the governments of that state, to come in and make their case. Ah, capitalism, true capitalism at work. So, Georgia might not make the top 10 list, but Georgia might have an awful lot going for it. And it's up to the citizens of Georgia, the businesses of Georgia, the state local governments of Georgia to come into the Georgia Forum and help people find jobs, tell people the best place to live. You see what I'm saying? So instead of trying to get people to go to one or two or three states, we just want them to leave the worst states and then make the best choice for themselves. Because here's what I realized as I was analyzing this project. I realized that if I was going to make a case for Texas, then so was everybody else that lived in a state that they pretty much were happy with. That they thought, you know what, I can breathe well here. I can own my guns here. I can collect the water off of my freaking roof here. I, I don't pay that high of a tax rate. The state has its financial house pretty much in order. We're not in danger of going bankrupt tomorrow. There's a few idiots in, in big city XYZ, but there's idiots in every big city, in every state, in the union. But the majority of the people in this state are freedom-loving individuals, and there's so many things going on in other states that I know... In our current climate will never happen here and I'm happy with the state and I'm going to make a case for my state. That's a republic. And I also realized that if I was even flirting with the idea of expanding the if, if it was a if it was like Texas came in number 11 and I ran some exhaustive freaking research on the most free states, gun index, fiscal responsibility, all of it. If I if I came up and Texas was number 11, Well, by God, then, we were going to have the 15 freest states. That's what other people would want to do. And it wouldn't be free. It wouldn't be Republican in the true sense. It wouldn't be Democratic. So the target is the key. So here's the real key. If you get this hot enough, if you get enough people talking about this, if this gets built up, If a reporter from the New York Times finds this site two years from now and goes into the Goodbye to New York forum and finds a thousand stories of people living in New York, it doesn't matter where they went, it just matters that they've went. Okay? Now, conversely, if we have states that are, you know, we look in there and basically it's a welcome board to the state of, I don't know, Some state that didn't quite pull it off. I don't know. And I'm, somebody's going to get mad at me because I really don't know who's in that like 18-ish, 15-ish, 16-ish range toward the bottom. But let's say it's my home state of Pennsylvania. That way nobody can get pissed off at me. Let's say Pennsylvania is, is you go in there and it's like crickets. You know, it's like 
There's like nobody asking, nobody's going there. And a person that's interested in this from the Philadelphia Inquirer goes in there and notices that like people are beating feet to Vermont. People are beating feet to New Hampshire. People are beating feet to Maine. Right? That's all up in the Northeast. Like, what the heck's going on? Maybe people are beating feet to West Virginia or Virginia. I don't know. This is the Republic at work. But he's sitting there going, there's like five people that came here. So, so far, there's like 5,000 people total that jetted out of these five states. And like two chose to come here. Huh. Doesn't that start to make a statement too? So isn't it possible that states start trying to look better if we do something so simple? We shine a light on the reality. This isn't shaping reality. This isn't writing a letter to the editor. This is just actually making visibility into what's... See, this is already happening. I covered a couple feedback shows ago how it's, you could see it so simply. Go to U-Haul, U-Haul.com, the truck company you rent trucks from, and, and see what it costs to rent a truck to go from Los Angeles to Dallas, Texas. One-way move. And then price it from Dallas back to L.A. And you'll see that it costs almost twice as much to go from L.A. to Dallas as it does from Dallas to L.A. Because they don't know when the hell they're going to get, when the hell they're going to get a truck back to exchange. Because it's an exodus. See, the exodus is on your way. The exodus is, 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 is on its way out of California. It's on its way. Uh, but here's another instance that we really need to start looking at. Whenever I talk about this, I hear things like, well, Jack, these people from California are coming here to Arizona and they're messing everything up. Are they really? You know, are they really? And if so, is that just because they're picking the wrong place? If we actually have a discussion for them, that specifically for nothing but this. No, not electing this ass clown or that ass clown. It's just, here's our state. Here's what's going on. Here's our values. Here's what we want. Do you think that maybe if you had a state that was so radically different from California and from a Californian thinking about leaving, not, not the state as a whole, just the individual that says, I've had enough of California. I just have had it. I want out of here. But yet when they went to find a place to go, they found this place and they went, man, that doesn't sound like odd. I want in Arizona at all. Don't you think there's as much value in convincing that person to go to a state that's more like their ideals as there is attracting someone with your like ideals? Do, do states really just want anyone that's fed up with their, their, their former state? Or do they want the people that want to come in there and be part of that state's main core values? I mean, I look at it this way. Maybe, maybe if we move enough people into Texas that share the values of the average typical Texan, the, the little yuppie clicks that we have in Dallas and Austin, right, and a little bit in Houston, will get so fed up with it that maybe they'll go to California. I'll give you some back. I just don't give you back the ones I don't want. Again, this is a republic. But I think that's the, the, the way we run this. It's a target. And uh, the uh, the website for this is going to be walkingtofreedom.com. Walkingtofreedom.com. 
And uh, right now there's a forum there. If you go to the main website, you just see like an index of thing. You'll see forum and click on it. I haven't set it up yet. It'll take me the better part of this week to kind of get it all set up and get it going. I'll be looking for moderators. And what I would love to have is moderators of specific states. If you want to make a case for your state, um, having one active member in there looking to help people is a, is a great idea. This has to be a group effort. This isn't something I can do on my own. Um, I'll probably be pretty active in the Texas forum, though, and I think a lot of other people that listen to the show will as well. And this will be kind of like the regional boards on the TSP forum on steroids, but with a specific mission and a specific agenda. What's going on in our state, why we like it, why we love it, and what we don't like. Let's be honest about what we don't like with people, too. And then members of that state working together to drag that state in the direction of liberty and freedom as well. So when something does come up that's oppressive, let's, let's get, because I'm going to tell you something. The majority of people that gravitate toward a state are already going to agree with the majority of people in that state, uh, especially when you have a liberty focus. And I think that, uh, you know, the whole idea of let's pick one place and let's trigger a move to one place, I'm going to keep supporting the hell out of the Free State Project. I really am. But when I look at it this way, do you know how many people in New Hampshire don't know about the Free State Project? I meet people every time they do their forum in the bar. They're like, what's this? And they're like, that's exactly what I believe. I already live here. Right? It's like, well, go talk to these people. Right? So they're not getting a broad enough reach. To me, the bigger the net, the more fish. New Hampshire Free State Project wants to move 20,000 people into the state of New Hampshire that agree with the ideals of the Free State Project. I'd like to move 200,000 people this year simply out of states that are oppressive. Uh, Free State already has over 10,000 pledge. I'm sure they can have 10 of those without really hurting anybody else's feelings. This is a republic. Let's make a case for it. Again, the website will be walkingtofreedom.com. It's not really up yet, but I would love to hear from you in the comments section today about what you think about... Let's start with this. Who goes on the naughty list and how big is it? Is it 5 or 10? I don't want it to be bigger than 10. I really don't. I think it's going to get very, very granular uh, as we even approach 10. Maybe it's 8. How about this? This is what you can do for me to help me. This is this is the best way I think we can do this. Everybody go to the survivalpodcast.com sometime this week after hearing this episode. Go to the comments section for episode 1078. Okay? And while you're there, post your list of five or ten of what you consider to be the naughty states. The naughty list. Post your own personal naughty list. I bet we'll find enough commonalities to come up with a consensus. And hey, that's good enough for for, uh, anti-government work. How's that for a play on words? All right, let's go ahead and move on to something else. So it was basically a 50% show launching this new initiative, a pre-launch, if you will. And then the rest will be comments, questions, and things. I got a great one for you. Um, I heard from someone that I think... Uh, listen, I know this is to the show that I think has something really cool that you guys might want to know about. Uh, how about building an, uh, a really nice hoop style greenhouse for under 150 bucks? And if you have some materials already, maybe even less than that. Well, the guy over at homesteadadvisor.com uh, has come up with plans to build a greenhouse. Eight foot four by seven foot. You can build one for about 150 bucks. He has all the plans in PDF. And I mean very detailed plans. Plans that most people would put together and sell for five or ten dollars. He's giving them away for free. All you have to do is join his email list. And, uh, if you do that, you know, you're, you're good to go. And, uh, 
you can uh, you can kind of go from there. He even on some of the pictures shows you how to put kind of a, a, a vent in it, and uh, then you could hook up some sort of automatic venter, so to speak, if you wanted to, to, to automatically open that vent. But basically, it's built with two by fours and cattle panels and six mil plastic. And it looks like something anybody can do. And it just so happens that I have a whole bunch of these great big cattle panels that have been used to create a couple little goat corral fences that I'm probably not going to want to keep around. And I could build quite a few of these things. And uh, maybe even one of the future workshops will be exactly how to build one. But don't wait for me. Just go to this guy's site, HomeAdvisor, HomesteadAdvisor.com, uh, slash Greenhouse. And you'll see the greenhouse, and I'll put a link in today's show notes. There's a little subscription form, and as soon as you get it, you'll get this very well-put-together PDF. And uh, I just think it's awesome. I think it's a, a great idea and a great use of material that's low-cost that would build a great greenhouse. And here's the beauty. Let's say, well, I want a bigger greenhouse than 8 foot 4 by 7. I want it to be bigger. Build the thing twice as long. Build it three times as long. Build it four times as long. Build it as big as you want it. Build three or four of them and put them in a line with each other with doorways connecting them so that you can actually fence things off. Because think about this. Let's say you built one of them really long. And you had certain things in your greenhouse that can handle the cold like lettuce and spinach and stuff like that and can go right through the winter inside a greenhouse. But you also were starting some seeds and you wanted your tomatoes and peppers to be protected when it was cold. You wanted to heat it. Would you rather heat just half of the area or the whole area? And I think anybody would go, well, half of the area is better than heating the whole area. It takes less heat, takes less and more efficient. So two of them are actually more efficient than one. We can set them up side by side to do that, or you can set them up butt to butt, so to speak, so they look like one, so you can walk between one and the other with doorways. Just put two doors on it instead of one and make the one door open in and the other door open in that are going to be facing each other. They can be closed off or they can be opened up. How cool is that? Um, if you build them to the size he recommends, too, you end up with basically they're sitting on what would amount to kind of a skid and be fairly easy to move around. A double-sized one, you're probably going to want to move with a tractor or a four-wheeler or something. But the fact that they can be kind of shifted around is uh, pretty cool as well. Again, homesteadadvisor.com slash greenhouse is where I'd go to get my plans if you want to know how to do this and get a look at it. And I just wanted to bring that to you, and uh, I think it's pretty cool. It also might be a great project for one of your 13 skills. Then let me put this little bee in your bonnet, so to speak, with this. I looked at this, and you know what I said? I only have so much need of actually having a greenhouse in the state of Texas. Do you know what I really need? I need a screenhouse. I need a house covered with like 60% screen, 60% solar screening that, that blocks the sun at the hottest time of the year, that I could grow things in that are heavily affected by pests and give them some protection. That's what I need. Guess what? All I got to do is build a whole, the same exact thing and stretch screen over it. You know, instead of put plastic over it. So you can actually use this idea to do a lot of things. I think you could build a pretty cool little shed out of it, too, depending on what you skin it with. If you skin it with canvas, let's say you uh, got a hold of some heavy canvas like they make uh, military tents out of. Uh, this would be a pretty bulletproof little shed. It's an awesome idea. In fact, if you look at it that way, you know, with the right skinning, it could be kind of a good little bug-out hut. It could be small enough that you could put it somewhere where it really isn't seen and kind of hide it in a little back area. There's a lot you could do with the basic outline and plan. Again, homesteadadvisor.com slash greenhouse. Uh, the next story I have for you guys is uh, from, let's see who sent it, so I give him credit, Robert. Uh, Robert in, uh, in uh, uh, don't have a state, so 
I'm just going to say. Uh, he's sending me in a, a thing on Arizona. But Robert sends me this uh, this article at NBCNews.com. You know, one of those crazy conspiracy theory sites. Uh, <laughs> Uh, proposed Arizona legislation could make silver gold coins legal currency. Arizonans who fear the federal government will soon make their folding money worthless may soon be able to substitute privately minted gold and silver coins. The Senate Finance Committee on Wednesday took the first step to making such coins legal tender in Arizona. SB 1439 would give them the same legal status as bills and coins authorized by Congress. Nothing in the proposal by Senator Chester Crandall, uh, Republican Heber, would force anyone to actually accept these coins as payments for any debt. Their use would be voluntary. But proponents say it's only a matter of time before the country suffers hyperinflation, making the greenback worthless. We need to have a lifeboat for Arizona so we can construct Plan B, testified Miles Lester. The measure is crafted to get around the provision of the U.S. Constitution with bar states from minting their own coins. Um... But supporters also note it states that it's, it states cannot make anything but gold and silver a coin tender in payment of debts. That, they conclude, permits states to recognize coins minted by others. It absolutely 100% does. There is no argument away from that. The United States Constitution specifically mandates that states make payment uh, and, and recognize silver and gold. Okay, They are to make make anything but gold and silver a tender of payment debts. So that means if they are required to do it, then it's definitely okay for them to do it. Crandall said the ultimate bottom line is a lack of confidence in the dollar or at least real value of the dollar. What with the Federal Reserve Bank continuing to print new money? Quote, I think you can see that all over the country, he said, more to the point, he said, countries like China are moving to have their own currencies recognized as an international standard because the dollar doesn't do what it used to. But Senator Steve Farley, Democrat Tucson, see they're everywhere, questioned whether something else was at play. He said a similar Utah law adopted in 2011 was pushed by Old Glory Mint, a company that makes these gold and silver coins. Gee, you think people that mint coins would like states to recognize their work as actual currency? I bet they would. There's nothing wrong with that. I bet if it was somebody lobbying for some crap this guy wanted, he'd be okay with it. Beyond that, Farley said, while the current financial system has its flaws, the country hasn't had the financial panics that occurred regularly in the 19th century. Quote, I don't see why we need to go back to something that has proven to fail, end quote, he said. Really, gold and silver failed. You're going to tell me gold and silver failed. Tell me any time in history where I could walk up to somebody with gold or silver and couldn't exchange it as tender. Okay? Because let's, I'm going to let you read the rest of the, the article as short as it is if you want to. But let's look at what's really at play here, because it's much bigger than probably either one of these people in government understand right now what the real reasoning here is. Um, this is not actually necessary. This is not actually necessary. There's, if, if it was just what the law is initially going to do, and we just took it at its face value, it's not necessary, because the legal tender law of the United States does nothing to prohibit me from anything. Okay, it really doesn't. It's one of the most weak laws in the United States of America. Basically, what the legal tender law says, if I offer services and I price my work or my material or whatever in dollars, then I am required to take dollars in that contract. But there's nothing for me to, as a business person to say, I don't take dollars. I don't take dollars. As long as it's in advance of the transaction. As long as you don't walk in and have a stake and then I walk up to you and go, here's your bill, sir. I'd like three ounces of silver, please. And you go, 
uh, no, I want to pay in dollars. If I've clearly told you before you sit down to eat, I only take silver, then I only take silver. How many times have you been to a place that no bill's larger than a 20? If the legal tender law prohibited that, then you could say, you know what? I don't give a damn. Here's my hundred, give me change. Or we don't take pennies, right? I mean, you can have any... So why would a state do this? It's a much larger view. Let me explain how this works. And where the states are really headed with this. The states that are balancing their checkbook know that at a time, when the country goes over the cliff... We're going to hear that we all have to sacrifice. And sacrifice means robbing from Arizona and Alaska and Texas to bail out California, Illinois, and New York. And we're not going to have it happen. We're not going to do it. right? It's going to be like the big compromises in Europe where one state is forced to loan money to the other state at a rate lower than they can borrow it for so that they can leverage like a co-signment of debt where the co-signer gets screwed on 3% of the debt. Okay, That's the kind of thing that they see coming. So what they need to do is they need to set up a plan B for the entire state. If the state says inside of Utah, inside of Arizona, inside of any state, we now recognize the legitimacy of silver and gold coins as a currency. And if they were smart, they would denominate it. They would denominate it. They would say an ounce of silver represents 50 Texas dollars, okay? Or they would let it, and they would let that currency float against the dollar. They would let that currency float against the yuan, the rupee. The, I mean, it wouldn't matter. The peso, whichever peso you want to pick, they would just let it float. But it would be anchored to silver. It would be 50 to an ounce, and it would create a float. And once they do that, once they get the, and maybe they don't even denominate it, maybe just say it's currency and it's recognized at a fixed value of silver floating against all other currencies. It's just silver. It's just an ounce of silver. It's an ounce of gold. It's a tenth of an ounce. It's whatever it is. As long as it's pure, certified from a recognized mint, it's good to go. Okay? Now, what does that mean? That means that then I could say I'm going to set up the first silver bank of Texas per Jack Spearco. And I could have a bank in the state of Texas where I refuse to do direct business with any client outside of the state of Texas. It's a Texas bank for Texans. You want a bank like mine? Go tell your state to make one. Doesn't this really sound kind of cool if states start doing this? Are you starting to see where this goes? So then you could get your paycheck and your, pay, your, your, your employer could pay you in silver at the float rate or they could pay you in federal dollars either or but you could immediately come over to the bank of jack and we could exchange your federal reserve notes for silver does this sound like what the lakota sioux indians are doing huh does this sound like what almost every chinese citizen in china with a paycheck is doing okay here you go and then you would have your money in my bank held in silver any fees would be charged in fractional ounces of silver any interest back to you would be paid in fractional ounces of silver. Hell, I could do a mortgage with you if I wanted to. You're probably not getting it for 3% down. okay? And I could operate as a bank within the state of Texas only for other Texans and be free of the interstate commerce clause. Now, would they challenge it? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's why they're not doing it yet. They're laying the groundwork to do it. They're laying the groundwork to do it because they have to have a system in place. So and you're going you're gonna to think I'm crazy when I say this word. 
so that states can survive when they're required to secede from the Union. Um, we always think about secession as like the Civil War and states basically declaring independence and breaking away from the Union and declaring sovereignty. But that's not exactly the way it always happens. When the Soviet Union fell apart, some of the states that broke away just kind of did. Basically, the Soviet Union said, we can't afford this anymore. We, 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 I mean, there's, there's no way we can manage it anymore. We don't have the, we don't have the money to fund the authority in some of these states. We just, that really don't want to be here anymore. We just kind of got to let them go. Some they fought a little bit over. Some they just kind of went, eh, right? And some of their allies, they just hung their asses out to dry. Do you know who the most pissed off human being on planet Earth was after the fall of the Soviet Union? Most of you won't have a clue. I mean, the most angry person you could find anywhere on planet Earth let's say two or three years after the Soviet Union fell, Fidel Castro pissed off because they played ball with the Soviets. And when the Soviets went broke, they just walked away and left Cuba with nothing. Marjorie Wildcraft is going to be on the air soon with us. And she's been there and she's going to tell you about the story of how the people put their lives back together organically when all the money left. I'm talking from food, food sovereignty. You know, and being able to grow crops again after years of the Green Revolution. They did the same thing there we did here. They just did it with the Soviets and the Soviets' money. The Soviets' money went away. Fidel's like, uh, guys, um, yeah, we're just this little, I'm sorry, man, we can't afford you anymore. All right? So secession may happen or breakup may happen in this country at some point due to financial insolvency, period. Just an inability to function in the way that it does now. It may not be full secession. It may be a whole litany of nullifications under the 10th Amendment. And it's only, because this is what you have to understand. The person being abused in an abusive situation will only tolerate the abuse as long as the aggressor is strong enough to continue to suppress the aggressed. In other words, a lot of things that states let the federal government get away with right now not with needing to secede, but simply with needing to come back and fight them. They just can't afford to fight the, the federal government right now. They can't do it. They're in so many different places where the federal government has their fingers into their states. But if you start going into an economic collapse scenario, a lot of those places the fingers are in the pie slip, and they're not able to enforce it anymore. And states can begin to say, well, we're not exactly leaving But you know all this shit you've been requiring us to do? Yeah, we're not doing that anymore, right? And, and all these things that you've been taking away from us, yeah, you're not getting that anymore. And we're just not going to do it. And then if one state does that, then they can crack down. But if in the middle of a financial catastrophe, 10 do it, there's nothing they can do. There's, and it's actually the best way there is to hold order together. Because then the states that like are stupid... And are just going, yeah, yeah, we'll do whatever you say, right? When people start snapping out there, they can actually use authority to contain the madness. What I'm telling you is there may come a day where you see a breakup or a de maybe a decentralization of the union, a middle ground, because it's the best decision, period. That it's the only way. And if you think about it, every move... Over the last 50 years, has been in that direction. Very, very, No, no nation has gotten bigger since World War II. 
I guess the reunification of Germany is the only example. Everything else has been a continued dissolution of states into smaller substates. European Union, yes, but they still have... France has way more autonomy from Italy than, let's say, um, Georgia has from Florida when you look under the federal umbrella here. So I think these states are planning to, to, to eventually, at least some of the people in these states, to develop economies based on precious metals Because if they do that and they legitimize it with the state seal of approval, it starts to open up opportunities within that state. And it gives a great place to make a stand because they can say to the federal government, what's your problem? What's your problem with this? We're not saying our citizens don't have to pay your federal taxes. Jackson up a bank? That's okay. He's going to send his people that earned interest with him at the 1099. He's going to send the people with a mortgage, a mortgage deduction form so they can get the tax deduction. It's all, it's all here. It's, it's all, it's floating against your dollar. It's, it's no different than if it was done in, you know, if somebody went to Costa Rica and got paid in pesos and they were still living in the United States where they had to pay taxes as well. Um, it would be a float, you know, it's easy. We just have a form. What's your problem? What don't you like about it? What is your problem? The people that are electing to get paid with silver, they're still paying federal taxes. They're converting their silver to dollars to pay you. What's your problem? What's illegal about it? Right? And it could be done now. It could be done now. But if the state is standing up and saying the citizen has a right to it, the state has greater ability to with resist the federal government. Because the federal government will only fight the fights that it believes are necessary and that it believes it can win. And picking on the state of Arizona because it has the Arizona Bank of Silver is probably not a good place to pick on. This is a move you're going to see continue to expand. You need to realize that this is the first step. And the citizens in the states that are open to this, you need to be pushing for similar laws. And you need to be thinking with the end in mind. If this begins to catch on in these states, then the states also then begin to say, you know what, if our citizens like silver... Maybe we take silver as t payment in taxes. Maybe we begin to create our own reserves in silver and gold. Most states have some. Maybe they begin to create more. So that when the whole thing melts to shit, right, then the state of Arizona or the state of Texas or the state of Florida can say, we're big kids. We can, we can handle our own stuff. Well, you can't borrow money anymore without the good faith and credit of the United States of America. Uh, I have the good credit and faith of Texas. We have X million tons of gold and silver in reserve. Well, you know, if we need to borrow some money in an initiative to get something done in the, in the meantime, while you guys are falling apart and no one will buy a U.S. Treasury bond, maybe they'll, maybe they'll buy a Texas bond. I'm just saying, the more you have as collateral, the more you can borrow. Now, you know I don't think states should go deeply into debt, but the reality is in the modern society, there are times when states and governments have to borrow money, okay? Especially in the current Uh, situation and in a transitional situation that's going to be power it's bigger than you would think but you know uncle jack has abilities to peer under the hood at times let's look at a reason we better be doing this um i had a guy named ted, ted lackerson on the show a long time ago uh with a book called the eagle has crashed and I, i read that book when we had him on it was a very interesting book 
And a lot of what I just laid out are things that happened in that book around the year 2029. And he actually doesn't believe that we're that far away from economic catastrophe. He had to be very, very optimistic to get it that far out. He did it mainly to get the name of every politician you would ever know out of the book. So nobody took it personally. So it was a complete new list of, you know, villains and heroes, so to speak. And uh, in his book, there's secession. Uh, far more assertive secession than what I just described, but some of the same dynamics I just described are at play. They make a lot of sense. I've remembered it. It's part of why I'm seeing this when I see this gold and silver movement. But in his novel, when the federal government's going, gee, this just can't get any worse, there's a huge earthquake in California, and a whole bunch of people offer to help, and the government doesn't want their help, but they're like, shit, we need their help. And one of the people that offers to help are our good buddies, China. And it's almost like a scene out of Red Dawn, but not quite as aggressive, where the Chinese just start parachuting a whole shitload of people in. And uh, they just take over Los Angeles and Sacramento. And uh, toward the end of the book, the government says, we're going to be able to route them out, and we've got our stuff together, and some people have come behind the U.S., and the regions that have seceded, we're not going to use force, but we're not going to recognize their independence. We're going to negotiate a new reality and things like that. Um, but the, the Chinese invade California, and they basically tell the U.S. government, hey, you know what? You've screwed the whole world over. You've damaged us. That's an act of war, and we're taking California as payment. Huh. I don't think so. I don't think the Chinese can afford to take something like California by force. I think the fact that Beijing would see a mushroom cloud over top of it really, really quick would be a, a big problem for them. And uh, even a wounded United States is capable of unleashing a bunch of mushroom clouds. I know the Chinese are too, but see, that standoff is pretty good at preventing military invasion, either direction. Nobody wants to invade a country that has nuclear weapons. And nobody with nuclear weapons wants to invade a country that has nuclear weapons. The, the, the concept there is pretty awful. Now, we could look at some EMP attack methodology and stuff, but see, if you do that... The systems with the missiles underground, we can still fire them. So and we can still do that with the the, the ones on the ships at sea, uh, especially the the um, submarines. It just isn't very plausible. But what if I told you it's just not necessary? That when a country is economically weak, that you just end up with a situation where people can buy you and actually become you, but yet still have more loyalty to where they came from than where they are. Sounds crazy. Uh, the Chinese taking over California with money it sounds insane. Let me read this to you. She came up, came in today, had no plans to put it on the show. Real feedback from the field, so to speak, unsolicited. From John, we are currently in the market for our first house here in Sacramento, California. John, don't do it. Get out of California. It sucks. Okay, anyway, I've done my duty now for a walk to freedom. Or, or walking to freedom. Um, the real estate agent told us to get ready to compete with other buyers who are paying cash. What? Other buyers paying cash in California? I mean, California got hit harder than anybody else in the, the, the real estate crunch. I mean, my God, markets are just bad everywhere. But California, California is up there with Florida for taking it in the face in the real estate market during the Great Recession. How the hell are all these people paying cash? Here you go. He said the other people were Chinese citizens who are who after buying a house here in the U.S. are eligible for citizenship. He said there is a list of 12 million such Chinese waiting to buy houses here. What's up with that? 
Long-time listener here and love the show in the community at TSP. Uh, my six-year-old daughter's favorite story is your version of the grasshopper and the ant. She asks me almost every day to tell it to her, raising my kids to be ants. Thanks for all you do, Jack. John Long. Okay to use my name and location. I have nothing to hide. All right. So you guys never need to tell me not to give out your name, by the way. It annoys me. I usually don't use your your, your article. I never give out your, your last name or your city uh, unless you tell me I can like John did. Okay. So, John, get out of California. But here's what's going on. Okay. So the Chinese, not being stupid. And if you watch my whole thing about why QE3 will work, parts one, two, and three, you'll see that I'm telling you China has gone in on big on silver and gold. So the Chinese have been earning their monopoly money and converting it to silver and banking in silver. Some of them have done fairly well. Some of them have been investing. Silver has continued to rise. China has decriminalized the ownership of silver many, many years ago and basically then started a product process of actually encouraging ownership. You know the silver bank that I described, Jack Silver Texas Bank? Um, you can go do, if you're a Chinese citizen, you can do that right now in China. China's done no problems with it. Um, and that has enabled the Chinese citizenry, especially the upper middle class, to build an awful lot of wealth. And they, as the, the most productive, brightest members of China, look across the ocean and say, California is the place you ought to be. So they loaded up the ship and they head to Beverly. Okay, That's what's going These guys are like, I can buy citizenship in the United States of America? Cool. Cool. And the Chinese government's like, yeah, it's fine. We got like 1.7 billion people here. Go on over there. And, and by the way, don't forget where you came from when you get there. The Chinese are going to buy California to a large degree. And, and they've been doing it for a very long time. Go to, go to California. You'll, you'll see what I mean. Um, the Chinese are on the rise to be the economic superpower by 2020. They will surpass us as an economic superpower. The average citizen there at that point will still have a lower standard of living, but the collective whole of China will have greater financial influence in the world than the United States. They basically bought the Panama Canal. They're enlarging the Panama Canal right now so that gas freighters from the United States can go to China. This will be good for us for a while. This will be good for us for a while, just like it was good for the oil-producing nations when the U.S. became a net importer of oil for a while. Do you think they're really happy? Any of them are really happy with us right now? I'm telling you, this is the direction that we're headed in. We're headed in a direction where the country is going to go through a massive shift And you're going to see regional divergencies in that shift. I don't know that you'll get a full-scale Soviet Union breakup, but you're going to see a different country in many ways, shapes, and forms over the next 10 to 20 years. I'm not telling you I know exactly how it's going to work out. I'm telling you the dynamics at play. States seeking greater sovereignty and freedom. The federal government failing to have the funding to be able to continue to hold things together. And foreign powers looking at the vulnerabilities of America and using the most simple methodologies. And if you want to call it peaceful, I don't know if that's the world. The least violent methodologies to stick their fingers into the American pie. See, we told the Chinese back when they were straight up hardcore communists, red communists, you know, not these uh, new pseudo light fascist communists that they've morphed into. Capitalism's a better way. And they said, no, 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 we know what we're doing. And then 
Years and years went by, and we eventually gave them most favored nation status. Now, most people hear most favored nation status, and they think that means like, well, China gets preference to other nations, and, and that way they they get some kind of uh, special way that they can you know export their products to America. Nixon gave them that status, most favored. That's not that's not what it means. It's like saying they're four star nation status. All right, because there are going to be more people than than just one that have four stars, or let's say five stars if it's a five star rating system. They they get they get a gold star. Okay, what it means if you have most favored nation status with the United States is that you're on equal footing with everybody else that exports to the United States of America. No one has a status any better than most favored. Does that make sense? Did you know that? Did your, your civics or history teacher or anybody like that ever teach you that? Anyway, so most favored nation status was granted to the Chinese under Nixon. And they go, well, we got this now. We should do some stuff with it. And they started building a whole bunch of crap and sending it over here. And, you know, their, their, chap, their crap was seen as cheaper than the Japanese and the Koreans at first. And uh, it wasn't really that well received. But there was 300 million people here with, or 260 million people at the time with a bunch of money. And they started buying it. And all of a sudden, all these dollars started going to China. And, and, and very little money went out of China into the United States. They were sending product and getting money back. And they go, oh, wow, this, this is pretty cool. And then they started on this advance toward industrialization. And they started basically going through a cycle very similar to what the U.S. experienced from, let's say, 1920 to 1960. They started following our same path, and they went, this works. They didn't have any pesky freedoms to get in the way. Okay, you know, the citizens rebelled, rebelled a time or two, but, you know, they just busted their heads and went on with life and continued in a mostly communist fashion that they loosened up Every time they saw the benefit to the state, they gave the citizen a little bit more freedom, a little bit more freedom. They kept them on a very tight leash, and they have this kind of hybrid fascist, socialist, communist, capitalist model now. Um, and I'll tell you what, a lot of people in our government, especially on the political progressive left, like the total left end of the spectrum, are very envious. They're like, look how good this works. If we could just do that here. But they're good at it. That's my point. They're better at it than we expected when we said, hey, come do what we do. And they're using that economic power now to extend their global reach. They want The Chinese government sees itself as the logical leader of the globe. I don't care if you agree or not. They agree. And about 1.7 billion people feel really good about that. It's called nationalism. We have this belief that only in America do people feel like they're the greatest, greatest people in the greatest nation, the American exceptionalism. Let me tell you something. A Chinaman's pretty proud to be a Chinaman today, especially if they're not one of the half of the people being abused, right? There's a lot of people with a pretty good standard of living in China, and those folks, just like here, get to make greater decisions than the people that are really being stepped on. So they have gone out and they have secured exclusive contracts with neighboring nations to basically buy all of their surplus exported rice and other food commodities to make sure that they can feed their people so their people don't revolt completely. Because even if you're abused, for most nations, if you're beaten on long enough for enough generations, you forget what freedom is. And as long as you're well-fed and you're warm or, or cool, depending on the, the temperature, you pretty much stay in line. That's the way governments look at it anyway. And they're using this economic clout now. They're controlling the Panama Canal Zone. They're going to become the largest importer of American natural gas, which will fuel the short-term 
five to ten year economic boom in the United States. They're playing chess the entire time. They don't mind buying the gas because they're still selling more of their crap actives. They know for every dollar they spend effectively, no matter whether it's in their currency or ours, on gas, that the American consumer will multiply that dollar in our fractional reserve idiocy and spend $3 on Chinese imported crap. They need us to have one more boom so they can execute their plan, which is wait till we fail. And then have their little fingers all over America and have different parts of it that they control as a corporation rather than rule over as a state. See, corporate control is the real control mechanism. Sorry, I bumped the mic. Corporate control is the real control mechanism in America today. Statist control is only one level. The corporatocracy and the plutocracies have greater control of the total than the state because they have the strings on the puppets that are the statesmen. Think about it this way. I don't remember who said this, but long ago a certain philosopher, I believe he was from England, stated that when one hand gives money to the other, the one doing the giving is always in control because it's always held higher than the one that is receiving. In other words, if you think about me handing you money, if I hand you a $100 bill, when I hand it to you, you're going to put your hand with your palm up as I drop it into your hand. We've established a relationship of dominance and subservience. And the more dependent you are on me for the next bill, the more control I exercise over you. So where do the candidates get their money? From the corporatocracy. Who owns the corporatocracy? The plutocracy. So who's really in control? And it's only when citizens get mad enough that they stand up and do their duty as a sentinel and they drag their their elected officials to accountability and they put enough fear in the hearts of their elected officials that the state begins to push back on the people that are holding the leash on them. That's why a federal system is the only way to curtail, not fully control the expansion of the state. Even in a federal republic, the state governments will always step out too far. But they're much easier to rein back in by the citizens of the state than the federal government is to rein back in by the citizens of the federal republic. Because the states, the little states, are so busy trying to keep afloat that they don't have time to really unify and form a confederacy. That doesn't always have to mean secession or the South or slavery, by the way. If 14 or 15 or 16 states collectively join in a nullification movement, it has a lot more teeth than if one does it. If 25 or 30 do it, then you really got something going on. Okay, And that's a way that we can get certain things off the books without things like constitutional amendments being required through nullification in a unified confederacy of the states. There's a lot of things that can be done, but the reality is most of them aren't going to be done until it's too late. Most of the states, even the ones making these moves we talked about earlier, they're going to still be caught kind of with their pants down when things begin to fall apart. That's why it goes to us as individuals to continue to work and develop and build our self-sufficiency and our independence to convert our wealth into hard assets in as, as, as sane and rational a way as possible. That doesn't mean that tomorrow morning you go clean out your $25,000 bank account, run over to TSP Mint and buy silver from just me. That would be a very self-interested thing that I would ask you to do. I will tell you this, though, if you did it, when Rob goes, okay, here's your license fee, how would you like it? I'd like it in silver, please. That does make a statement there. But 5 to 10% of your wealth, minimum, in silver and or gold to ensure the other 80 to 90% of wealth and keep an eye on things and continue to increase those ratios as is necessary and deemed fit by you, 
but also to be able to feed yourself, to be able to take care of yourself, to have skills, to be able to control and manage your community and your neighborhood. It may fall on many of you to act like special operations troops in a collapse. And I'm not talking about fighting a war. I'm talking about winning the hearts and minds of your friends and neighbors and holding your community together. And enough people do that in the surrounding communities, you can hold your counties and your city together. And if you can do that, then that is an example to the rest of your state. And the state can use, I hate to say this, but it's authority where and when necessary to stop people from doing things like burning a city to the ground. We can all get upset and all get pissed off about martial law. I don't want martial law to be declared. But if 20,000 people want to burn Dallas to the ground, I damn well expect the city of Dallas, the county of Dallas, and the state of Texas to prevent them from freaking doing it. There's a difference between protest and arson and burglary and destruction and looting. And there is a need and a time, and that's why we have a government in the first place. The role of government is to protect and defend the rights and the liberties of its citizens. That's its only role. That's its maximum role. It should be to protect and defend your rights. That's what government is instituted to do. That's what it's chartered to do. That is its function and its role. And sometimes that's ugly. But I'll tell you what, if someone's about to burn your house down, then you damn well have a right to shoot them. And if you are about to burn down a building, a high-rise building, in the middle of a city, and the only way to stop you is with a bullet, then law enforcement has the same obligation to, to protect and defend the property of the individuals and the businesses that run inside that building. And it's easy for you, oh, so all the rich people. No, in a big high-rise building, there may be a thousand people just like you who work and live there. You know, or, or work there, or live there, or work, uh, just work there. But their livelihoods are dependent upon that building being there tomorrow. It's not as simple as some people make it out in the complete no state at all world. This is why I re retain my stance as a minarchist, a minimal state, a small state, a state that doesn't have the right to look into my bedroom or my bathroom, for God's sakes. A state that doesn't have a right to tell me what I can eat. A state that doesn't have a right to tell me how big of a soda I can buy when I go and buy a hamburger. Not that I even drink soda. It's not the point. It's not their business. The state should not have a right to tell me that a plant is freaking illegal. Okay, an unaltered... Un you want to talk about the drug wars and all that crap. I can make a case for decriminalization of it all real quick. I can show you prohibition doesn't work. But at least I can understand the mindset of a government saying, we're going to regulate something like cocaine that has to be refined and processed and can be done in a bunch of different ways. And even if we let you have cocaine, even if we say it's okay, this cocaine might kill you because you don't... I mean, I can get... I, I don't necessarily agree with prohibition in any, any way, but I can understand the case. But how can the government tell you that something like marijuana needs to be illegal? I don't smoke marijuana. I don't think you should either. I'm not making a case that we should all go burn a doobie. Okay, what I'm saying is, who's who, what gives them the right to tell you that you can't put a seed in the ground of any sort and have a plant come up with it and eat a leaf off of it or possess a leaf off of it or sell that leaf to your neighbor? If they don't have the right to do it with okra, they shouldn't have the right to do it with cannabis, and they sure as hell shouldn't have the right to do it with hemp. You have a government that has criminalized hemp. Do you know what happens if you grow great big hemp plants, true hemp, and you, you smoke it? 
You get nauseated, sick, and a headache, and you don't get high. It is not marijuana, it, but it is put in the same classification as marijuana. We can the seed from it is one of the highest protein sources in the world. We can fabricate hundreds of different things with it. Just about every other nation is free to grow this plant. Canada does it all the time. Farmers along the Canadian border can look across the border to Canada and see farmers growing hemp and making a good profit on it, but they can't grow it. Again, I'm not talking about a drug at all here. The government should not have that right. And it's a natural state of the human being. It's a natural state of the human being to not have that intrusiveness in their life. And it's why I believe it's eventually where we're going. But as power fails, vacuums are going to form. And other powers will seek to fill those voids and fill those vacuums. How many people in California are going to feel really fond of the Chinese government if this nation falls apart and China says, we, we can't bail out America, but we can help California. You know, a lot of our citizens have immigrated there over the last 20, 25 years. We kind of have a vested interest there. We have uh, some, of our, some of our businesses located in California. We can help California. We'll make sure that the California citizens don't go hungry. Think about that. And think about that happening during the weakened condition of the republic. And let me ask you a question. Would not a, well, not a shot fired, at least by authority, not a shot fired. Nothing but riots here and there, and that happens everywhere. Don't think you know Texas is going to go without riots and something like this. But would you rather be in that scenario in a state like Texas or a state like California? Would you rather be in a state like Illinois or a state like New Hampshire? Where would you want to make your stand as the republic begins to crumble? In a place where the ideals of the republic can be retained by a citizenry who is sworn to uphold and defend not the United States of America, but the Constitution of the United States of America. Let me explain something. You. People almost, you know, when you start to talk about things like nullification and a federal breakdown and a breakup of the republic, uh, they start to look at it like it's almost treasonous to talk like this. So we're just looking at a reality that financially these idiots have set up and they've put in motion something similar, something in some way like this is going to occur. But my loyalty is not to the United States government as an institution. It is to the Constitution and the Declaration of the Independence and the ideals held sacred within them. In other words, my loyalty is not to Governor Cuomo of New York or President Barack Obama or former President George Bush. When he, that's not where my loyalty lies as an American. That's not even where my duty lies as an American. Do you understand that? That's not my duty. As a soldier, I swore to uphold and defend the Constitution and obey the orders of these people. But I am no longer a soldier. I'm a citizen. And as a citizen, as a sentinel, it is my duty to uphold and defend and hold sacred the, the, the values of our Constitution and the Republican government. Not the Republican Party, the Republican government. In other words, the Republic government set up and instilled by our founders. And that makes allowances for me to say, hey, you know what? You're not doing it anymore. You're not doing it anymore. Our approach 
in the self-sufficiency, independence, and liberty movements of, in some ways, just opting out of the system, in other ways, working for freedom within our states, in other ways, attracting the best and brightest from the most oppressive states to the most liberated states, all of these things are far more benevolent, far less aggressive than the men that founded this country would have used. If Jefferson was here, he'd have an AK by now. And he'd be headed somewhere with it, okay? Probably leading some people along with him. Maybe maybe not Jefferson. Washington would be. That was more his approach than Jefferson's. But, I mean, Jefferson would be writing a Declaration of Independence probably for the state of Virginia right now. Don't you think? I mean, don't you think? Think about it. I mean, don't you think that makes sense? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you see it? So you don't see this movement calling for things like that. You see us just saying, you know what? You guys have chosen the course. And we can't stop the Titanic from hitting the iceberg. But I'm thinking we're going to go get in a lifeboat now before, because we already know the collision's coming. And instead of launching the lifeboat when it's half full, we're going to take as many people as want to go with us. Because we know the more people we have there, as long as the boat floats, the better off we really are. And the more we can take care of each other, the more we can look after each other. This is my vision for America. This is my vision of restoring the republic. It's not going to happen by voting for Republicans or Democrats or even independents. I'm going to give you some information probably this week or next about why you can never change the current system, no matter who you elect into Congress and Senate. You won't believe it. It'll change everything you ever thought you knew about how bad things really are. You will... I guarantee you some of you will struggle with its validity and then you will check it out and you will go, oh my God, that's not going to work. The whole system has to be shifted and changed. I learned about this this weekend in New Hampshire. It was something I never knew. As much as I know, I never knew this. It will absolutely convince you that we need to be taking a stand at the state level. I don't care what you I don't care what your agenda is. I don't care if you like New York. Okay? I don't care if you think New York City is the greatest city on the planet and you want to live there forever and you don't think anybody should ever own a gun and you don't think anybody should ever have a 16 ounce soda and you think the government's right is to tell you that when I tell you what I'm going to tell you later this week or, or or more likely tell you on Monday next week, you'll know why it has to be done at the state level. You'll understand. But I'm not going to tell you today. I will tell you next week or maybe Friday. With that, though, I am going to wrap things up. I didn't say it in the beginning, so please consider joining the Member Support Brigade today. If you do that, you'll help support this show at about 18.3 cents an episode. If you think you got about two dimes worth of value out of today's show, please consider joining. The good news is even though it's 50 bucks a year or $5 a month or whatever other frequency you wish to pay at, or you can pay with an ounce of silver, or you can pay cash, check, money order. I don't care. I'll take just about anything. Hell, I'm looking into how I can take Bitcoins. But no matter how you pay, if you buy stuff for self-sufficiency, liberty, and independence, anything from silver to gardening tools to ammunition uh, and anything else in between, herbal supplements, you name it, uh, if you do that, there's a whole list of vendors that offer you exclusive discounts as a member, and you'll get your money back many times over if you're already spending money. I'm not saying that everybody will, but if you're already spending money on stuff like that, 
This membership pays for itself. That's how I set it up. Military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, prior service. I will give you a special discount to thank you for your service. I'll also do that for first responders, like let's say a paramedic. Send me an email, jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Put service discount on the subject line. Tell me who you are and what you're doing or who you are and what you did, and I'll get that out to you. And remember today, as we talk about a new project, uh, walkingtofreedom.com. As we go out in our states that are more free, and I'm not saying they're free enough, I'm just saying they're more free than these other states, and we compete with each other for the best, the brightest, the, the, the strongest producers, the most solid citizens of these states that are oppressive, let us not fight with each other as we do this. Let us do this as a team. Let us realize there are literally tens of millions of prospective new people to bring to all of our states. Let's not fight. And let us remember that a fight for freedom somewhere is a fright fight for freedom everywhere. And with that, this has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. Like there's nothing I can do It's the price we pay I guess we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way Nobody up there cares, they're living.